Portraits of Christmas. Joseph, a portrait of obedience. On this second Sunday of Advent, as we begin to prepare our hearts and lives for celebrating the birth of Jesus, let's focus on this very special man whom God chose to be the earthly stepfather for His Son and our Savior. Why Joseph? He's one of the most forgotten players of that first Christmas pageant. After all, what very little we do know about him doesn't look too impressive on a resume. So why Joseph? He wasn't a person of notoriety or influence. He wasn't a rich businessman or a prominent leader in Israeli society or a respected Jewish religious leader. No, he was a poor carpenter living in an obscure and ill-regarded village called Nazareth. Why Joseph? The Bible doesn't record a single word he said. Not a single word. So why Joseph? We really know nothing about him before Mary's pregnancy and other than an indirect mention of him when he and Mary found Jesus conversing with the Jewish leaders in the temple when he was 12 years old. We know nothing about Joseph after the events surrounding Jesus' birth. In fact, it seems that Joseph must have died sometime before Jesus started his public ministry. Certainly he was out of the picture by the time of Jesus' crucifixion, which is why Jesus entrusted Mary's future care to the Apostle John. Why Joseph? Well, today I want us to see a portrait of Joseph that will help us to answer why God the Father entrusted him with the responsibility of being the earthly stepfather to his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the most outstanding quality that marked his life was obedience. I believe that's why he was chosen by God. And that's why I've entitled today's lesson, Joseph, a Portrait of Obedience. Let's begin today's lesson by looking at the Scripture together. Follow along in your Bible as I read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18-25. through 25. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so we're introduced here to Joseph, the chosen stepfather for God's son, Jesus. Perhaps a few words of explanation will help us to understand these verses a bit better and shed some light, I think, on Joseph's character. In verse 18, it tells us Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together. I think we need to pause here for a minute and elaborate on the three stages of Jewish marriage. 
First of all, there was the arrangement stage between the two sets of parents who came together when their son and their daughter were very young and agreed that when their son and daughter grew up, they would in fact get married. And there was a discussion of dowry terms and, and if you will, a handshake agreement that this would indeed be an arranged marriage. The second stage was the betrothal stage between the couple with a signed legal document, by the way, that was binding. This was a time for building the relationship. It was about a year long usually. It was a time for choosing to love who was going to be your future mate. (laughs) You see, again, it was an arranged marriage. The Jews understood that love is not something you fall into. Love is something that you choose. It is a decision. And so the couple decided that they would love one another and it was a time for the groom to prepare a home for his future bride. And although they were actually considered to be husband and wife during this period, it says in verse 18 that it was before they came together. And then the third stage, of course, was marriage. The actual wedding celebration, which lasted usually for several days, followed by the years of marriage to follow. And so in verse 18 it says, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. We would understand then that this story takes place during the betrothal stage. And verse 18 continues then, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now this of course is a reference to the virgin birth. As it explains in verses 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet in Isaiah 7.14, by the way. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we all understand, don't we, that Joseph was not the actual father to Jesus. In fact, verse 25 tells us he did not consummate the marriage until she, Mary, gave birth to a son, Jesus. That in itself should tell us something about the character of Joseph. I mean, assuming Mary was about three months pregnant at the time of their wedding, this means that Joseph willingly abstained from sexual intercourse with Mary for the first six plus months of their marriage. Why? Well, among other things, to honor God who was the real father, and to protect, I think, the integrity of the virgin birth. Now in verse 19 we read, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now please understand this. Because her pregnancy happened prior to their wedding, Jewish law actually gave permission for Joseph to take Mary to the city gate and have her stoned to death. And then Joseph's name would have been cleared, his reputation restored. But Joseph, you see, chose the high road. Instead, rather than publicly ending the relationship, putting all the blame and disgrace on Mary, Joseph chose to privately end the relationship and risk any misunderstanding and humiliation that might have come from family and friends. Folks, that took character. Again, as it says in verse 19, Joseph was faithful to the law. Literally, the Greek word here is righteous, just, Fair, ethical. Joseph was a man of spiritual character. Now verses 20 and 21 
Tell us that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, informing him about Mary's pregnancy by the Holy Spirit, and instructing him, in fact, to move forward with confidence in completing his marriage to her. And verse 24 then gives us Joseph's response. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Simple, unhesitating obedience. Now keep your place in Matthew chapter 2. Okay? Because we're going to come back to that. We're almost there. But we will come back to Matthew 2. And turn over with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. It's on page uh, 1593 if you're using the Pew Bible. Because the next time that Joseph appears chronologically in the Christmas story is at the actual birth of Jesus. So follow along in your Bible. Luke chapter 2, we pick it up with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now next, Joseph is mentioned with Mary when they went to the temple in Jerusalem when Jesus was about a month old. So follow along here. Luke chapter 2, we go down to verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, flip back with me again to Matthew chapter 2. Would you do that? Because after the Magi's visit in Bethlehem when Jesus was about two years old, here's what we read, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. When they had gone, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And then to complete the story, we must look at Matthew 2 verses 19 through 23. Look at them with me. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life or dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. This then, in its entirety, is Joseph's role. 
in and around the Christmas story, the advent, the birth of Jesus. Almost everything we know about Joseph is found in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and in Luke chapter 2. In fact, Joseph's name isn't even directly mentioned again in the Bible. He's only indirectly referred to on two later occasions. In Luke 2, verses 41-51, through 51, when Jesus was 12 years old and Joseph and Mary made their yearly pilgrimage from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover, you might recall that Jesus remained behind. His parents thought He was with other relatives and friends. And after returning in a hurry to Jerusalem and making a frantic search for Him, they found Him in the temple conversing with the Jewish leaders. And Luke 2, and verse 48 tells us, when His parents saw Him... They were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father, Joseph, and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then the second time he's mentioned is in Matthew 13, verses 34, or 54 and 55. During his ministry, when Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown people asked, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenters? Notice that? Joseph's. Son, by the way, that's where we learn that Joseph and Jesus were carpenters. The Greek word here is tekton, which literally means skilled craftsman. Now, usually we think of wood, don't we? When we think of carpentry. And no doubt Jesus did work with some wood, but the primary material used in construction and craftsmanship in Israel was stone. Did you know that? Joseph and Jesus were more than likely stone workers. More than wood. Interesting. Thought I'd throw that out. Now that's the last time that Joseph actually mentioned in the Bible. And so again, we know very little overall about Joseph other than from Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke 2. And even then, his role in the Christmas story is pretty limited. Again, the Bible doesn't record a single word that Joseph uttered. We can only read between the lines and speculate as to how Joseph must have responded as the earthly stepfather to Jesus, God in the flesh. But what a great honor it was for him to be hand-selected by God Himself for this incredibly important responsibility. Now again, I think it was because of his obedience. As Scripture records it in Matthew 1 and verse 19, Joseph was faithful to the law. He was righteous, just, fair, ethical. Obedience. Matthew 1 verse 24 puts it this way, He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Obedience. Matthew 1 verse 21 says the angel commanded Joseph here to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew 1.25 simply tells us he gave him the name Jesus. Obedience. And when the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, warning him to escape Herod's murderous plot by going to Egypt, Matthew 2 verse 14 tells us he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, without hesitation, and left for Egypt. Obedience. And again, when the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him to return from Egypt, Matthew 2 and verse 21 tells us he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Obedience. 
In Luke 2, verses 22 and 23, we read, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Luke 2, verse 27 confirms the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. And Luke 2, and verse 39, I think kind of sums it all up. In fact, let's read it out loud together. Read it with me, would you? When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Don't miss that phrase, done everything required by the law of the Lord. Obedience. Well, that's a look at Scripture. Now, what lessons can we learn? from our study together today. Joseph, a portrait of obedience. Again, I think the primary and foremost character trait that marked Joseph's life was his obedience to God. And I believe that Joseph's obedience teaches us some practical lessons that we need to apply to our lives as Christ followers today. In fact, three lessons I'd like to share with you that we can learn from his example. First, he teaches us to obey even when it is embarrassing. He teaches us to obey even when it is embarrassing. Whatever else we may learn from Matthew 1, 18-25, if we truly put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, Mary's unexpected and unusual pregnancy had the potential of being highly embarrassing, even disgraceful, for both Mary and Joseph. Could have ruined their reputations. In that very strict culture, they could have ended up as outcasts, shunned by society, in fact disowned by family friends. And yet, Joseph was obedient. When told of Mary's conception by the Holy Spirit, Joseph immediately pushed up the wedding. Do you notice that? He took Mary home as his wife. And we need to understand that in the cultural setting of that day, that was a huge risk. Public scorn and ridicule, even persecution, was a very real possibility. Not to mention private gossip and slander. I'm sure many of Joseph's family and friends pressured him to take the easy way out to save face by publicly disgracing Mary by pushing all of the humiliation onto her. But instead, Joseph was obedient. Now face it, obedience to Christ can be embarrassing at times. You might be embarrassed at the restaurant to bow your head and pray for your meal. But you're obedient and you do it anyway. You might be embarrassed to openly and boldly share your faith in Christ with others, but you are obedient and do it anyway. You might be embarrassed to take a public stand for truth when others are embracing the world's values and morals, but you're obedient and you do it anyway. You might be embarrassed to defend Christianity when your family and friends are mocking and scoffing at Christ in the church, but you're obedient and you do it anyway. You might be embarrassed to tell your house guests that you attend church on Sundays and to invite them to come along with you, but you're obedient and you do it anyway. You might be embarrassed to tell your employee that you simply cannot work on Sunday mornings, but you are obedient and do it anyway. You might be embarrassed when you turn down a promotion at work because it would take time away from your spouse and your children, but you are obedient and you do it anyway. You might be embarrassed to speak up for Christ when it would just be easier to remain silent. But you're obedient. And you do it anyway. 
By the way, let me expand on this last one just for a moment. Speaking up for Christ. As we saw and heard in the video clip a little earlier in today's service, the sin of silence is perhaps the most unrecognized and unconfessed sin in the church today. The fact is over 90% of those of us who claim to be Christ followers are not speaking up for Christ. We're not actively daily sharing Jesus. We're silent. Why? Fear. That's why I urge you to sign up for this upcoming training. Share Jesus without fear. Let's learn together how we can speak up for Christ without fear or embarrassment. Let me wrap this point up by reading Jesus' words. Matthew 10, verse 33. Let's read them out loud together. Would you read it with me? Whoever is ashamed and refuses to openly acknowledge me before others, I will be ashamed of that person and refuse to openly acknowledge him or her before my Father in heaven. Ouch. I mean, whatever translation or paraphrase in which you look this up, essentially Jesus' words are exactly the same. We must not remain silent. We must not be ashamed. We must not hide behind our fears. We must not be embarrassed. And actually, any embarrassment that we feel cannot even hold a candle to what Joseph went through. Joseph was obedient to God's plan even though it was embarrassing to him. In truth, his decision to be obedient had long-term consequences that would be embarrassing. As we read earlier in Matthew 13, 54 and 55, even years later, when Jesus returned to Nazareth, the people in his hometown made comments that cast doubt on his heritage and legitimacy. And yet Joseph was obedient in spite of what might happen. So first, Joseph teaches us to obey even when it's embarrassing. Second, he teaches us to obey even when it is inconvenient. He teaches us to obey even when it is inconvenient. Life for Joseph and his family wasn't convenient just for the moment. Life for Joseph was terribly inconvenient for most of his adult life. Just having a child this early in marriage was certainly inconvenient and stressful. Travel 85 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem with a woman who's soon due to give birth had to be inconvenient. Finding no guest room available at the inn and giving birth in a stable, having to lay the newborn Jesus in an animal's feeding trough, that was definitely inconvenient. But the inconvenience didn't stop there. As we read earlier three more times, an angel appeared to Joseph in dreams, told him to immediately uproot his family and move. Remember that? Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15, Jesus obediently moves to Egypt to escape Herod's plot to kill Jesus. And then, sometime later, Matthew 2, 19 through 21, following Herod's death, Joseph obediently moves back from Egypt to Israel, intending, it seems, to settle in Judea. But in Matthew 2, and verse 22, hearing that Herod's son was now reigning in Jerusalem, Joseph obediently moves back to Galilee, back to his and Mary's original hometown of Nazareth. Now think about that for a minute. Right under the very noses of those who would snub them, who would criticize them all over again. Face it, obedience to Christ can be inconvenient at times. It may be inconvenient to confront a work associate or a schoolmate whose speech is always inappropriate, but you do it anyway. 
because you're obedient. It may be inconvenient to change your family's traditional Christmas plans so you can be in church on Christmas Sunday, December the 25th, but you are obedient and do it anyway. Just thought I'd throw that one in there. (laughs) It may be inconvenient to set your alarm an hour earlier so that you begin the day with God and Bible study and prayer, but you are obedient and you do it anyway. It may be inconvenient for parents to search high and low with their children for modest and yet stylish clothing, but you are obedient and do it anyway. It may be inconvenient to give God the first part, to tie 10% right off the top of all of your income, but you are obedient and you do it anyway. It may be inconvenient to drive all the way to Visalia and cities beyond to deliver angel tree presents to kids that you don't even know. (laughs) Got to get that one in there too. But you are obedient and you do it anyway. It may be inconvenient to give up two to three hours of your already busy week to participate in a Bible study or life group with others here at Springville Naz, but you are obedient and you do it anyway. See, being a Christ follower, living a life of obedience is not a matter of convenience. To me, I think one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible certainly must be Acts 24 and verse 25. When Paul shared Jesus with the governor Felix and his wife Drusilla, we read, and he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment. Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. Simply put, Felix was convicted. But he wanted to follow Christ, you see, on his own terms. On his own timing. When it's more convenient. But that's not the way it works, is it? Being a Christ follower, living a life of obedience is not a matter of convenience. In truth, obedience is often inconvenient. Let's read 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 out loud together. Read this with me. Be ready when the time is right and even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. So second, Joseph teaches us to obey even when it is inconvenient. Third, he teaches us to obey even when it is senseless. He teaches us to obey even when it is senseless. Now, if you're single and morally pure, it grates at you to have your purity questioned. And then, once you're married, to wait longer, now that seems senseless. Yet, listen again to the level of sexual purity that Joseph protected even after their wedding. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Now, most people would say that Joseph's decision here was rather senseless. I mean, we find it difficult to wait for this privilege until we're married. (laughs) But Joseph chose to patiently wait for several more months after he was married. I mean, maybe he felt like it was the right thing to do in light of the unusual circumstances. Maybe he felt that the timing would be more appropriate after the baby had been born. Maybe the angel told him to wait. And the words just aren't recorded for us in Scripture. But I think that what really happened and motivated Joseph in this regard was his remembrance of the prophecy in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. 
As it says in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so he waited. If I can be honest, I mean, sometimes God's plan doesn't seem to make sense, does it? But we must remember, God is still in control. And He knows what He's doing. Perhaps He just wants to prove He's trustworthy and at the same time test our obedience to Him. In the Old Testament, there was a story of a respected commander of the king of Aram named Naaman. Do you remember that story? He became a leopard, which at that time was not only terminal, but was would cause you to become a social outcast and would eventually just eat away all of his flesh. It's a horrible disease. Desperate for healing, he seeks out Elisha the prophet and is told by Elisha to go to the Jordan River and dip seven times, immerse himself seven times, and then he'll be healed. But Naaman, you might recall in the story, tells his servants, that's senseless. I mean, why doesn't the prophet just kind of like wave his hand over me or something? Or what's wrong with our own rivers back in Damascus? Why do I have to go to their muddy Jordan River to do this? But his servant tells him, if Elisha had asked you to do something major or difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So why not try this? Why not obey even though it doesn't make sense? And so, the story says, Naaman humbled himself and he obeys. Now imagine, put yourself in his shoes for a minute with me, would you? I imagine that after each dip, he must have looked at his skin. I would have. You would have too. Come on. But there was not even the slightest sign of the leprosy being healed. After dip number six, he looked just the same as he did after dip number one. And can you believe Satan must have toyed with him right then and there? You call this obedience, Naaman? This is embarrassing, inconvenient, and senseless. You better walk out of this water right now because you're going to feel mighty foolish when you dip one more time and you're still the same leprous loser that you were before. I mean, isn't that the way Satan works? But Naaman didn't listen. And he obeyed God's prophet. And he dipped himself a seventh time. And as he came up out of the water, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 5 and verse 14, his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The point is, God wants our obedience even when it doesn't make sense. Now besides Naaman's story, we could cite story after story after story in the Bible where God called people to obey Him even when it was senseless. Remember Abraham? You're going to be the father of a multitude. You're going to be the father of my people. And Abraham goes, I'm in my 90s and I don't even have a son yet. What do you mean? Senseless. And then he does have a son in his old age. And then God says to him, go take that son Isaac and sacrifice him to me. Senseless obedience. Or how about the other Joseph? 
in the Old Testament whose brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt, where he seemed to suffer one injustice after another injustice after another injustice, and yet he obeyed God and he was eventually able to stand before his very own brothers in Genesis 50 and verse 20 and say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. <coughs> Senseless obedience. Or how about Noah? <laughs> Who built an ark on dry land, remember? Not to mention gathering all those animals and birds and reptiles. And during that 120 years when he was building that ark and gathering those animals, and before even a drop of rain had fallen, all the people thought he was crazy. Senseless obedience. And on and on we could go, folks, throughout the Bible. I mean, face it, obedience to Christ can be senseless at times. But as Joseph and Abraham, Joseph, Noah, countless others in the Bible and down through history could testify to us, it always pays to obey. You can trust God even when it doesn't make sense. So third, Joseph teaches us to obey even when it is senseless. Portraits of Christmas. This morning we looked at Joseph, a portrait of obedience. You see, I think the most outstanding quality that marked Joseph's life was his obedience. And I believe that why, that's why he was chosen by God. I believe that Joseph's obedience teaches us some practical lessons that we need to learn to apply to our lives as Christ followers. Three lessons from his example. He teaches us to obey even when it's embarrassing. He teaches us to obey even when it is inconvenient. And He teaches us to obey even when it is senseless. Let's close by reading Micah 6 and verse 8 out loud together. Would you read this with me? What God requires of us is this, to do what is just, to show constant love, and to walk in humble obedience to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Joseph and his example. It's amazing the things we can learn from a man that we know little about. But we see again and again his obedience without hesitation. He did everything that was required of him. Thank you for that. And I pray, God, that you would teach us this morning that it's always right to obey even if it's going to be embarrassing, even if it's inconvenient, even if it doesn't make sense at all, it's still the right thing to obey. Help us to be obedient people in everything we do and say and think. Help us to make a mark in this world because of our obedience to You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.